Welcome into another episode of ESPN Full and the Real World Podcast. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, and we've got a good one today. Josh Giddy is about to join the show. We know one of the outstanding rookies in this year's NBA class. The Thunder have been one of the surprise teams this year for mine, and no, they aren't going to make the postseason. They might be a season or two away from that. But this young team has been incredibly entertaining, and Josh has been a major, major part of that, and certainly... Uh, as we know for our Australian listeners, has captured the attention of this country here as he becomes the next Australian star, getting it done over there in the league. Before we bring Josh in, I do have to remind everyone, make sure you go to ESPN.com.au for all the latest basketball news across the world. And there is no shortage of stuff going on in the world of basketball right now. We know, uh, as we record this, the NBA trade deadline, a couple of days away, Friday, February 11. 7 a.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time is the deadline. And whether you're listening to this before or listening to this after, make sure you go to ESPN.com.au for all the reaction, all the latest news, and all the fallout from the trade deadline. It's always one of the craziest days on the NBA calendar. I can't wait. Who knows what's going to happen? Of course, everyone is talking about Ben Simmons. We'll see if he's still on the Philadelphia roster by the time the deadline goes by. Uh, one other thing, make sure you check out The Jump Friday nights on ESPN, 7 p.m. every Friday night. If you haven't caught The Jump yet, make sure you do so. We've got Australian basketball royalty, Andrew Gaze and Leonard Copeland, the dynamic duo themselves on the desk every single Friday night. Uh, thankfully, we have Nat Edwards there as well, who steers the ship because without Nat, it would be absolute chaos. I poke my head in there. Uh, every week as well Uh, just a little cameo there among the stars and it is a lot of fun we break down all the news around the basketball world and also have special guests uh, from the US and certainly from our ESPN family as well so it's a lot of fun that's the jump on ESPN 7 p.m Friday nights make sure you check that out join us now from Oklahoma City Thunder and Australian star Josh Giddy. Josh appreciate the time mate I know it's difficult during the NBA season so we uh, we really appreciate it no problem thanks for having me so speaking of the NBA schedule, we'll get right into the grind of this. So right now you're 48 games in. Just from a minutes perspective for those listening, you've played 1,500 minutes so far in the NBA. You're at around 900 last year in the NBL. So how are you holding up? Because this is really uncharted territory for you from a, from a physical and probably mental standpoint. Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a long season, 82 games. And uh, as you said, the NBL, I think last year I, I played 28. So... <laughs> Obviously, it's a lot more here, um, but, you know, the access we have to, you know, world-class treatment, recovery, physios, stuff like that um, is, is really no excuse to keep your body in check. I mean, injuries are going to happen, but the little things that you can control um, is, is the important part about being ready for 82 games in the season. Um, so I've been staying on top of that, um, making sure my body is doing well and it's held out well for the first 50 or so games. So, um, yeah, I can't really complain too much with that. So this is coming off yesterday. You spoke about a post game. You played the Warriors as we're recording this and uh, your head coach sort of said, look, we might keep it around 30 and it's probably in the lead up to the all-star break here. But you spoke about the facilities you have. So everyone wants to focus on on court, but you have the, the strength and conditioning people. You have the dietitians. What's been the biggest off-court change or perhaps something that you've said, okay, this is what it means to be an NBA player. What's been the biggest change? Probably the the physio part of it. Um, every morning I'm with my physio, uh, Tony, and we check in all the time. Uh, any little niggle, any little niggles that I have, um, he's the man I go to. And it's 
So we're also, we're always just addressing little things, making sure I'm staying on top of everything. Um, so that's probably the biggest part. Last from the NBL, I would see a physio once every, <laughs> maybe once a month if I was lucky. So um, I was always just playing through things. Um, but this year it's like, we've got so many people that want to take care of you. Um, so you know, I let him do his job and, and he's been awesome with me. So I know generally NBA players and NBA teams don't like to compare themselves to others, but I've been fascinated watching your young group this year and the connection that you appear to have on the court, but also off the court. We saw the other day you were uh, making fun of Trey Mann for getting 29 points, not 30 points. It seems like you guys really, really enjoy being around each other. And in some ways, it kind of does remind me of Memphis, who uh, confidence, some would say borderline arrogant in the best possible way, and they're fear. They've, they've, they have no fear of anyone. How, how have you found this group coming together and, and the bunch of young guys you have? Yeah, it's, a, it's an awesome group. Um, I felt it as soon as I got here. Um, I knew it was going to be a young team coming in, but um, I think that's the best part about it is we're all in similar parts of our journey in the NBA. We're all at the start of our careers. Um, so to grow with these guys together, um, it's been awesome. And, uh, you know, there's no egos on this team and that's the best part about it. We all want to succeed and all want to do our part to help the team win. And, um, you know, in the NBA, the guys have different roles and there's roles to play. And I think the best part about our team is everyone understands that and no one tries to do stuff that they know, you know, they don't need to do within our team. So um, the group we've got is awesome, um, really unselfish group. And then off the court as well, we're all close, which, which obviously leads to being, you know, a close, um, you know, uh, gelled group together on the floor as well. Where you get drafted does matter. And uh, I was interested that you again mentioned this last night in your post-game press conference. You were asked about Jonathan Kaminga, who was obviously around the mark where you were. Yesterday, I caught up with Josh Green and he kind of answered one of my questions that, well, I was drafted to a contender. I understand minutes are going to be hard to come by. That, that does impact the opportunities you're going to have, how much minutes you get on the floor. So for you, being in this situation, being with a young group and having the chance to play through mistakes, how has that uh, impacted your, I guess, ex rookie experience and, and what you expect of yourself? Yeah, um, this is, you know, this is the team I wanted to go to. But um, as I said, like, OKC was at six and I knew that was going to be right at the top end of my range. And, um, you know, I was sitting there on draft night with my fingers crossed that Adam Silver would walk out and call my name with that pick. And, you know, luckily he did. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's different for a lot of players because you see some guys get drafted. They might get drafted at 10 to a contender, whereas I'm six to a team that's probably, you know, rebuilding a bit more than, you know, what someone else might be. So um, situations are different for every player. Um, and, and I got fortunate enough to be on a team where I knew there was going to be opportunity from the start. And, you know, there's going to be uh, places for me to kind of, you know, play my natural game. And, and the best part about it is the coaching staff, you know, Mark in particular has been, you know, really awesome with me. Um, you know, he, he lets me play. It gives me confidence to go out there and kind of play my natural game. Um, so we've had a lot of conversations, you know, along the lines. Um, and, and he's been great with me. He understands, you know, the, the importance of having a, you know, a healthy balance of letting me play freely, but also coaching me hard at the same time. And, um, you know, I couldn't be happier with, with how he's coached me so far. Uh, let's get to on-court stuff. Uh, do you know which teammate you've spent the most minutes with on the floor so far this season? Um, nah. Dort. So, Lou Dort, well, okay. just over 1,000 minutes, but then SGA is second. So, Shea Gildas-Alexander is the one that I'm, I'm most interested in. Particularly early in the season, you were pretty open about the fact uh, that you're playing with another guy, likes to have the ball in his hands, can create, can score. And just the, the idea of playing off ball, which I would assume is not something you've had to do a lot throughout the course of your career. So how has that process been so far? 
Yeah, um, I mean, I've always kind of been handling the ball. I mean, with Adelaide last year, um, I had the ball in my hands for probably 90% of the game. So it's different coming here, but you got to understand the NBA, there's going to be a player like that on every team that's, you know, a star player. And, um, you know, Shea's an awesome player, um, you know, one of the best isolation guys in the league. Um, and, you know, you can't come in as a rookie and try to take the ball out of someone like that's hands, you know. <laughs> We want him to, you know, have the ball as much as possible because so many good things happen when he's making plays, you know, for himself. And he draws so much attention that it allows other guys to kind of get off as well. So, um, you know, I've said it before, but hopefully me and Shea can be together for a long time. Um, so our chemistry is great already, but um, the more games we play together and more times we spend together, um, that that's only going to grow and um, hopefully be for the better of our team. So what has been the biggest learning experience playing off ball or the biggest challenge, say? Yeah, just finding other ways to impact the game. I mean, um, whether it's cutting, screening, um, being a decoy, whatever it is, is just finding other ways to impact it. Um, you know, because when I don't have the ball, it's like I can stand there and kind of just sit there and wait for Shay to have his turn, then I have my turn. But we're both learning now that um, the better we can play off of each other, um, you know, the better it's going to be for our team. And um, we're figuring that out as we go, watching a lot of film um, and just trying to find other ways that I can be effective while, you know, the ball was not in my hands. Uh, when you do have the ball in your hands and, you know, scoring has always been something that's been interesting. You, you, you've obviously all well passer already, but from a scoring perspective, particularly stepping up to the NBA level, how have you found that approach and trying to figure out when is the right time to pass and, and the importance of being an aggressive scorer? Yeah, um, obviously it's different from the NBA. I think the NBA, the big difference is the spacing on the floor. Um, there's a lot more space over here just because, Big guys can't sit in the key like they can back home. Um, you know, big seven-footers that sit under the ring, block shots. But here, you have to get out of the key. So it allows the lanes to be a lot more open um, getting downhill. But um, it also, you know, helps out with passing because, um, you know, if guys are going to stay home to shooters, then you've got lanes. But if they collapse, then you've got more space to hit shooters. So um, it kind of goes both ways, hand-in-hand hand with scoring and passing. Um, but, yeah, still trying to figure it out. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be a learning experience a lot of the time. Um, picking my spots on the floor, when to attack, when to you know run on offense, stuff like that. So uh, learning every game and watching film helps with that as well. Just understanding um, you know when the right time is to get downhill and make plays, and when to, when it is to pull it out and you know get the ball moving and stuff like that. You've been asked a million times about your shooting, but I'm more curious about what you see from the opposition defensively. And you've seen a lot of different coverages, but if a team is going under the screen or they're, they're dropping back and, and allowing you to shoot, what is the challenge for you as you continue to figure it out? When is the right time to just let it fly? Because it's not always going to be about uh, the percentages and you knocking down those shots as much as it is potentially the threat that you are going to shoot that shot. Yeah, um, I mean, as you said, I've seen a lot of different coverages. Um, teams, some teams go under, some teams kind of play level, some teams are in drops, so... Um, seeing different things is just it's going to make me play different naturally just because you know the coverages are different so um, if teams going under um, making them pay you know stepping stepping into a three um, and the thing with me is you know I don't lack confidence so if I miss 10 I'm going to shoot that 11th like I've just made 10 in a row so um, confidence has never been a problem for me um, you know and as you said just different coverages are going to naturally make my game different um, you know whether I'm getting downhill if they're chasing over or if I'm stepping behind shooting threes if they're going under so um, yeah, reading the defense, whatever they're doing, I'll adjust my game to. You spoke about the confidence and I remember listening to you earlier in the season and you said that maybe the first two weeks or whatever it was, that it was an adjustment. And it's like, okay, well, don't worry about what people are saying and focus on my own game. How has that part been? Because 
it's been what four months five months since you've been in the nba so it seems ridiculous to say that you've already got to that level but it does seem like you are already starting to feel more comfortable yeah um i mean comfort comes with you know experience and i think the more games you play you grow and you learn and understand the nba game more so um uh, the game's starting to slow down for me um you know from the first game of the season in utah i still remember it really clearly i was so <laughs> know sped up and just you know hyped and excited to play i was just everything was like rushing out there and i was going 100 miles an hour trying to get things done but now it's like the game's slowing down i'm kind of playing at my own pace um you know outside stuff isn't speeding me up so that's probably the biggest change from game one to wherever right now um but yeah i mean a lot of things you just learn over time picking little stuff up from all the games you play different teams you play um, but I mean, every night's different because every team's throwing different defensive coverages at you. Um, you got different players to guard. So every night's different, but just learning little things every game is going to help you in the long run. Uh, I want to get into the passing a little bit now. This is uh, a fascination of mine watching you play is my favorite part of watching you play. I don't know if you've heard people starting to call you the greatest inbounds passer of all time. Have you, have you heard this? Uh, have you heard this getting around? Yeah, I've heard it. <laughs> No, no thoughts. No thoughts on on that title. Uh, I don't know. I didn't even think that was a that was a you know, record to hold. Well, that's the thing. This is what's so interesting about it. So when I think about inbounds passes, I think of yourself, uh, Nikola Jokic, and probably LeBron as guys that have these memorable inbounds passes. So it's not bad uh, company to sit in. I want to talk about the one against Dallas last week, about a week ago now. So you uh, get the ball down to Kenrick Williams. You've spoken about this in the post game. But the clip that went viral of you with the with the eyes has obviously caught the attention of a lot of people. My fascination with this is you saying that you kind of went against what the play was, or you improvised, you freelanced. This is what this is what we're seeing. Uh, that's a pretty high risk time of the game to decide I'm going to make this pass based on eye contact that may or may not be read uh, the way you want it to. So can you just talk us through that situation? Yeah, um, well, actually, now that you say it, I just remembered, you know, a week before that we were in Dallas and same situation. Um, I think we ran a play and Shea was meant to pop back up to the three to get the ball. And I tried to fire it through to Mascala and it got deflected and the game was over and we lost. Um, so, you know, then that next week or two weeks later, we're back in Dallas and same situation. We we're down, I think down two with eight seconds left and we drew up a play. Um, and I went out there and before I took the ball and I kind of started observing the floor and, and looking at what, you know, the defense was doing and how they were playing. And before I took the ball out, I saw, I saw Kenrich and we looked at each other and I saw Luca just turned his back. And as soon as I stepped out of bounds, me and Kenrich just looked at each other um, and he nodded at me to throw it. And I just put it right over you know, to the ring and he went there and got it. So me and him have had a good connection on those inbounds passes. And Ted, I didn't, you know, there was a play and I, I wasn't really sure what it was walking out of the timeout. I was kind of focused on what the defense was going to be doing and if there was going to be a crack in that to exploit. But um, so if, if I didn't hit Kerridge, I didn't really know what was happening after that because I was so adamant that I was going to get him the ball. Um, but yeah, just kind of reading the play before it actually unfolds and uh, me and him have had a good chemistry on that with you know a lot of out-of-bounds passes this year. So you spoke earlier about the fact that Mark lets you play through stuff. So that's the, that's the epitome of letting someone play through something because if you make a mistake, as we said, the game's over. So when you talk about the leash that you have. And it helps being on a young team where you play through mistakes. Uh, but is there a time where he says, okay, we're, we're taking it a bit too far here. What, what is the leash keeping in mind that you are still, still a rookie as well? Yeah. Um, I mean, there is a leash, but that's probably one of the ends that, you know, he lets me break for, uh, play freely on is the offensive end. Um, defense, he coaches me hard on and rightly so, you know, I need to get better on that end. But 
offensively, he kind of lets me play my, my natural game because a lot of my game is, you know, is a bit risky naturally. Um, some of the passes I throw are probably not a lot of passes <laughs> that a lot of guys would throw. Um, just, you know, the confidence I have in myself to deliver those passes and, you know, stuff like that. We're down two at the end of a game. And if I miss that pass, the game's probably over, we lose. So um, I had to put it right on the money. And, um, you know, I just, I trust myself to make those plays. And um, I know the consequences if I don't make the play and I turn it over, I know what's going to happen. So, um, but I just, I have confidence in myself to do that. But um, yeah, Mark, Mark coaches me hard. Um, you know, in general, but he, he lets me play freely on that end. And, and that's what makes me play so confidently. And, um, you know, I, I go out there and play with no fear. And, um, you know, I know he's got my back on that end. And um, if I make mistakes the next day, uh, we're going to get, get together, watch film and um, kind of learn from it. So um, he's been great with me. You said at the start of the season, and this is obviously something that's progressed the longer the season has gone, but the quote was something like, I'm telling the guys to keep their hands ready because I throw some wild passes. Wild passes, I would say that's accurate. That, that, that makes sense when I'm watching from afar. How have you found the guys have adjusted to you and your capabilities and when to uh, make sure they're not getting hit in the face with a ball coming across court from an inbound pass? <laughs> well, uh, well, I mean, as I said, me and especially Kenrich, um, that's been the best one for me on out of bounds. Every time we're on the floor together and it's a sideline or baseline, we always know, or he always knows that I'm going to look for him because he's an he's awesome cutter. His hands are always ready. But um, all the guys, I mean, I, I think they know now that um, I'm going to try and throw you know, passes that the defense is not going to expect um, just to catch them off guard. Like there was one in L.A. where I took it out of bounds and um, A.D. was under the ring and Baze was in the opposite corner. And um, it was the first time I've ever tried that pass. And I just threw it to Baze in the corner and no one was kind of he wasn't even expecting it. But and I didn't know I was going to throw it until I took the ball. So little things like that, um, I, you know, I'm sure they're aware now that um, just to kind of be ready and. Um, because, you know, look, I don't even know when the ball's going to come to me because I throw some, some shit that I don't even see happening. So, um, yeah, the guys know now just to have their hands ready. Do you launch that with one pass, that, that one against the Lakers, one hand, sorry, and you that one against the Lakers, and I heard you say, I threw it one hand, I could throw it two hands if I want to. Your height at 6'8", this is something that's changed in the game over the course of the last decade, and you think about taller point guards, facilitators yourself, again, Luca, Lamelo Ball, all these guys, Ben Simmons is next level. What advantage does that give you? I always think about Jason Kidd when he was in Milwaukee, one of the greatest point guards of all time, standing on a chair just to try and understand what Giannis can see on the floor. So what, what advantage does the, the height give you and how the game has obviously changed in the last decade? Yeah, it helps a lot. Um, obviously, I, th I think I'd speak for all those bigger guards. It just helps being able to see over defenses because um, a lot of the times as a point guard, you're going to have someone smaller on you. So um, just being able to see over the top of them, especially on inbound passes as well, it helps. Um, being able to you know put the ball over your head and, and make make different plays, so um, it helps just in terms of being able to see the floor a little bit higher than what you know most guards would. Um, also, you know the rebounding part helps as well. Being a bigger guard, you can get in there on the defensive boards and kind of that's where you can start the offense is is crashing the glass and then getting out and running. So um, you know there's multiple advantages to it, but um, yeah, I'd say I speak for all guys when I say just being able to see over defenders is um is a really you know helpful thing to have. Uh, just got a couple more for you. Uh, as far as the boomers go, we understand that it's a it's a great community of you guys. And I know you've spoke about talking to Andrew Bogut recently. Uh, Joe Ingles has been another guy. Uh, how have you found the uh, the advice or just the mentorship of, of those guys as you're trying to find your way in the NBA and, and prior? Yeah, um, that would be, I mean, Joe was the first one I spoke to just, 
Uh, he was an Adelaide boy growing up. And when I first signed, he was the first guy to reach out to me, just said, congratulations, you know, if you need anything, um, text me and blah, blah. And I abused that. I used to text him every day. I was so excited <laughs> that Joe, Joe hit me up. And, um, and then, you know, six months or eight months later, we're, at, you know, at a boomers camp together, um, playing together. So it's, it's surreal. Um, and, you know, I'm looking forward to getting back with those guys for the next, you know, boomers campaign. Um, I know, obviously, as a competitor, and I've heard you speak um, different things that motivate you. You spoke about that camp. You got a taste for it. Um, I know you would have wanted to be there and you would have wanted to be in the Olympics. Obviously, it was a busy time for you in, in your career. Is that something that, that you do carry motivation from or just it's something that you had a taste of and you want to get back there? I mean, a bit of both. I mean, part of me is still you know mad at myself for not making that team. I think I didn't do as much as I could have at that camp to, to make it, but um you know the other part is you know using as, as fuel to the fire i guess um well for me I, I knew it was going to be a good case scenario i didn't go to the olympics i got to go to the draft or if i went to the olympics i'd miss the draft so i knew at, at the end of the day i wasn't too sad when i kind of thought about that um but you know obviously i would have wanted to be there in tokyo helping us win a medal um but i mean at the end of the day it is what it is and um you know i'm, I'm happy for the guys that got to go and they won the first ever medal for the country so um, it was a big achievement for Australian basketball, but um, hopefully, you know, in the next Olympics, um, you know, we can make that a gold medal. So I'm excited for it and I'm looking forward to you know, getting back with those guys and competing for it. Um, just just mentally, uh, you've, we've spoken about a lot of things that you've achieved and a lot of things you've gone through over the course of the last 12 to 18 months. Um, I personally can't figure out how you could keep that in perspective or keep your, your mind focused ahead. Uh, how do you look back on it all? And then how do you, how do you stay in the moment and, and stay for, because it's been a, a crazy ride. Yeah, it has. Um, you know, ever since I signed with Adelaide, um, I was on like no mock drafts. Um, nobody knew who I was. So I was kind of starting from the very bottom, trying to you know build a name for myself. And um, I mean, similar in Adelaide, I mean, I landed in a really good situation. It started with, you know, Jeff Van Groningen when he recruited me there. Um, he kind of told me that from the start, you know, you're going to have the ball in your hands. You're going to have, you know, the chance to play. And um, I wasn't sure whether that meant 10 minutes or whether that meant 30 minutes. So um, I kind of went in there, um, you know, unknowing of my role in the team. And then as the season progressed, um, obviously, you know, we had Donald Sloan there. He was starting at the one. I was backing him up. And then um, he went home, you know, a few games in and, and kind of, you know, unlocked the, you know, the gates for me. Um, I moved into that starting point guard role. And then, you know, ever since then, I kind of, um, I kept playing. I had the ball in my hands a lot. So, you know, I was in a, I was in a really fortunate position to, to play as much as I did um, and have the opportunities I did. Connor Henry um, was awesome for me. He let me pray, let me play um, a lot of minutes, um, you know, and it could be tough for him because at the same time, you know, coaches are coaching to win and they, you know, you don't win, you don't have a job. So it's hard for him to balance playing an 18 year old kid um, and winning games. And I think we, I think that team that we had underachieved, I think we could have done a lot better than what we did in that year. Um, and, you know, Connor was an awesome coach. I loved him. Um, but as I said, uh, he gave me the chance to play so much. And I think a lot of where I'm at now, I give credit to him and, and to Jeff for allowing me to have that platform to, to get to where I am. Uh, All-Star Weekend, uh, Dyson Daniels will be there. Lamelo Ball will be there. It's a new format. Are you excited? You probably haven't had a chance to think about it too much, but just the idea of being at All-Star Weekend and being featured in the festivities, uh, how are you looking forward to, for, to that? Yeah, uh, very excited. Obviously, Dyson being there is pretty cool as well. Uh, it would have been cool if we're on the same team. but yeah. um, What are they doing with the drafting, by the way? That should have been Crazy. the one criteria. I know, I know. Um, but yeah, uh, hopefully we play against each other and we'll catch up when we're there. 
Uh, but I'm excited for it. Uh, first All-Star Weekend, um, you know, getting to to be there, involved in it. Um, it's it's a you know it's a lifetime opportunity. Kids dream of doing this, so to be here, um, I won't take it for granted, um, and I'll definitely enjoy the weekend. Well, we appreciate the time, mate. I know, like I said at the top, you guys are traveling all over the place. It's a difficult schedule to get through. So uh, any time with you is is much appreciated and all the best for the rest of the season. Thanks, Kenny. Thank you.